Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Father, your word is, as we open up your word, I pray, Father, that your people would find comfort, would find joy, would find peace, would find conviction, that they would find you. You are a good God, (laughs) and we find you there. Amen. Amen. Um, hi everyone, I'm John. Um, I was in Austin last week, Austin, Texas, so I'm a little bit jet-lagged. I was there for three days, um, including travel time. So I just flew in, had a couple of meetings, and flew out. And so I am tired. Um, but while I was there, uh, there was a, there's a colleague of mine that I spent a lot of time with, and she knows that I'm a Christian, um, but I'm always looking for opportunities to be able to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about it. Because when people find out you're a Christian, it, you know, there's, there's a bit of a barrier that goes up. And so we were in a cab together going to the airport and she said, John, what's your, what's your top favourite? What's your favourite books? What's top three books? So I was like, you don't realise what you've just started. I've got, we've got 45 minutes. And so I said, the Bible. Um, and to which she was like, oh no, here we go. I was like, yeah, honestly, it's great. And she was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get involved in this conversation. The Bible, oh wow, I've, I've actually tried to read it myself. Um, it's pretty difficult, isn't it, John? It's quite difficult. And I was like, yeah, it is difficult. Um, she said, I've, tried to, I've started trying to read it a couple of times, started at Genesis, and I was like, well, actually, the Bible is not a book. Actually, my answer isn't quite uh, right. I can't just say the Bible, because I've essentially said, my favourite book is a library. I've essentially said, my favourite book is a collection of books. And so I said, actually, within there, I've got a couple of favourites. I said, there's a book called Romans. And Romans is written by this guy called Paul to the church in Rome. And um, and then there's uh, another book, like the Gospels. You know about the Gospels? And she's sitting there, and I think she's taking it in. Um, But if we're honest with ourselves as... um, as Christians even, there's some parts of the Bible that are difficult and there's some parts that actually if we try to read the Bible all the way through, there's those struggles, right? There's those bits where you're like, quick, get me to the Psalms. Do you know what I mean? There's those bits. Um, And if the Bible was split out, so if your Bible was split out into, on your bookshelf, as individual books, I can imagine there'd be two types of books. There'd be the books that are well-worn, they've got notes all over them, they've got really bent pages and the spines are broken. And then there'd be the other books that uh, they've got a bit of dust on them, Um, they may have been used to kind of prop up other books, Um, unbroken spines, and you're kind of looking to give them as a gift to someone. Um, It is true that there are some books in the Bible that are easier Um, And there are some books that are harder. And I think there's a couple of reasons why we avoid some books and and, and we don't avoid others. I think the first reason is that we find it hard to read. 
There's some books that are just easier to read, right? So you read the Psalms, it's nice poetry. Um, you read some other books, and actually, it's ancient you know, texts that have been translated into English, and they just don't read very well. You know, when someone reads a novel that's been written beautifully, and then you read the Bible sometimes, you're like, it kind of just repeats itself sometimes, and it's just, it feels like it's not as, um, as easy to read. So it's hard to read. It's also hard to apply, isn't it? It's hard to apply to our lives um, when you're reading about kind of ancient kings, like attacking other kingdoms, and you're like, come on, I live in South London. Actually, yeah, it kind of feels like that. No, it's difficult to apply some books, and it's easier to apply others. It's just honest, you know. There's some, when you look at, say, Paul's letters, I find them a lot easier to apply to my my life, and, and some of the other books not easy to apply. But the third reason is the challenge. The third reason is that some books are harder to receive. Harder to receive the message that is being said. Harder to receive the truths of um, this God that is being revealed in the Bible. And actually we avoid them because there's other bits that speak to more of the character of God that we like and less of the character that we we don't like. Um, I was in um, Canada recently on holiday and I got my hair cut. And uh, we went into this, this barber's, and it was like trendy, cool barber's, and always judge your barber by his hair. Like, if he's got good hair, go to him, because he knows about that sort of stuff. So I picked a good barber with great hair and a great beard. And um, so I sat down, started speaking to him, and he started speaking to me and um, asking me about my day and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it was one of those moments again. What do you do today? We went to church. I was like, right, we're in. And he's like that. Uh, you know, you could tell it's another like drop face. Oh, I'm going to have to talk about religion. But actually, he was a lot more open to it than I was expecting. And um, he started speaking to me about he, he was a he was a Buddhist and he was into like all sorts of stuff. And um, and I was talking about Jesus. And uh, he was like, Yeah, I like Jesus. I like Jesus. I mean, I, in fact, I actually like I like Christianity. It's a, it's a bit heavy at the start. I don't really like Old Testament angry God, but I quite like New Testament nice, um, lovely kind of gentle Jesus um, person. And and then he started going off on one about how this lady got a new vision and interpreting Jesus and all this sort of stuff. And there's a point in evangelism that you go, okay, I'm going to challenge this, but it's not the point when there's a razor to your head. <laughs> It's, it's not the point. You, you, you kind of just like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, Lord, forgive me for not, you know. <laughs> like, come out with, like, what did you do? Evangelize. <laughs> there is a warning for us as Christians. Um, and the warning is this, that we have to have a systematic theology, not a selective one. We have to have a systematic theology, not a selective theology. We have to. And that means that we can't avoid stuff in the Bible. We just can't avoid, and it's important for us. Um, the challenge comes because of a truth that God is a person to be known, not a concept to be constructed. Yeah? God is real. God is real. We're not deciding. We don't, we don't carve out of wood the God that we want. He carved us out of the dust. So... It's a revelation of who God is. We want to see in here who God actually is. We don't just pick and choose the bits that we want and then craft for ourselves, okay, this is the God that I like. This is the Jesus that I like. And so it's important that we have 
um, a systematic theology, and the encouragement is that God is a God to be known, and he wants to be known, and that in this book, inspired by his Holy Spirit, that we can know him. We can know the God of the universe. And so my encouragement is, dive in. Study this book. Look and find this amazing God and don't shy away. In the, in the stuff that's more difficult, get together with others and, and talk it out. Don't just avoid it because having a shallow view of God means that you don't get to really enjoy the, the, the fullness of um, who he is. But also you're in danger of creating a false God that always agrees with you. You know? It says that it's the glory of God to conceal things and it is the glory of kings to search them out. Let's search him out. Let's find him out. So that is why I've decided to study this morning the book of Nahum. Who's read the book of Nahum? Who would be able to recall to me what the book of Nahum is about? Other than Bill. The fact is, Nahum is one of those books. It probably, the verses in those books are never, have never been put onto a calendar in lovely typography or a postcard. The verses in those books, you start reading it and you're like, <laughs> next. It's tough, it's heavy going. But we're going to look at it um, this morning. So a bit of context about what Nahum is about um, Nahum is written to Judah in the time of the split kingdoms, and, and it's written about a, a place called Nineveh. Some of you will be familiar with Nineveh. So Nineveh was a, a large capital city of Assyria, the superpower of the day, so it was a capital city. Um, and in, in other books in the Bible, it talks about how big it is. It's a three-day walk around. There's 120,000 people that live there. Um, and if you look, historians talk about Nineveh because it was a huge um, cultural hub. So it had a big library, a huge library with old kind of tablets and stuff um, that was really popular. It was a religious hub. There was a, um, Ishtar, the goddess, was, was worshipped there, the, the Assyrian god. And also other people speculate that even the hanging gardens of Babylon were based in Nineveh. There's, there's some indications of that. So it's a, it's a cultural hub, an educational hub, a religious hub. Um, but in order to maintain that, they had some pretty crazy foreign policy. <laughs> so they had a violent, oppressive foreign policy. And Judah found itself uh, in kind of um, oppressed by Nineveh and oppressed by the Assyrians. And so there's a few other books in the Bible um, in the, in, in the Old Testament that talk of a similar time. Um, it's around 600 BC when Judah is being oppressed by the superpower of the day, the Assyrians. The theme of the book is about God's severity towards sin and his judgment over it. Cheery. <laughs> and it is a prophetic word about the destruction of, of Nineveh. And so... Um, in about 612 BC, years later, after the prophecy, um, the, the, town, the city of Nineveh was destroyed by the upcoming superpower, the Babylonians. And so, to try and give you a trivial but hopefully helpful—it's fine. 
hold. Um, so I hope to give you a trivial but hopefully helpful illustration of what this situation um, is. Um, I'm going to talk, show you a bit of my childhood. So I have two brothers, uh, younger and older. My younger brother, Steve, um, I shared a room with him growing up. And so when you share a room, you essentially share toys and space. And while my brother, older brother was off doing whatever he was doing, um, me and Steve used to play with toys. And most of the time, it was like, you know, we were all friendly. Occasionally, like if I wanted to be a certain character, if I wanted to be that toy, wanted to have that toy, um, I, would, um, I would just take it. Because I was bigger than him. Right? That changed when we were about 15 when he got bigger than me, but... That's another story. So I was bigger than him, and, and he would just have this kind of indignation towards the fact that I, you know, and he would fight me, right? So we would wrestle. And what I used to do, because I was bigger than him, is I used to pin him on the ground, hand, hand, knee, knee, on the ground, and my head to his head, and lean over him and just tell him, you can't move, can you? <laughs> and his face, you, if you ever seen blood in the eyes of a child, his face looking at me like, if I could move, you don't want to know the things that I will do to you. And he would scream out. And then a moment would come where I would hear the sound of my father's footsteps coming up the stairs. Immediately, I'd flip off quickly, dust myself down, pretend that there was nothing going on. Steve is snot everywhere, crying. And uh, my father would walk in and see us both standing there. Steve's crying his eyes out. I'm standing there like that. Yeah? So that is the situation. There is an oppressive people and the footsteps of the father have come to the situation. So I've got three points, like every good sermon. The first point is that judgment is good news for the oppressed. Judgment is good news for the oppressed. Nahum 1, 15. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. You notice there the the footsteps, the feet of him who brings good news. That's my father walking up the stairs. And from the perspective of Stephen, that is good news. The judge is coming. See, for the oppressed, judgment is good news. Now, I have to be honest with myself. I have a fairly pampered Western existence. And so the idea of oppression for me is, is difficult to comprehend in its fullness. And actually, when we know little of oppression, we can miss the hope and the joy found in God as judge. But actually, you get glimpses as you see, as oppression is revealed to you. Um, I was in Berlin last year, and I I saw the, the Holocaust Monument. Has anyone seen the Holocaust Monument? It is vast. And it takes your mind a while to try and comprehend the scale of the oppression that happened during that time. The scale of the oppression was huge. We were in Cambodia last year as well, and um, the we (laughs) we travel a little bit. In Cambodia, there is a recent genocide. 
And we went to a school there that was used as a torture chamber. And I thought I was emotionally ready for what I was going to see, but my Western pampered existence was not ready to see the persecution, the oppression that Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge inflicted on the Cambodian people. Even Thierry and Emma are in our church. Thierry is from Rwanda, and if you know anything about the fairly recent history of Rwanda, there was a, a genocide where over 800,000 people were killed over a short period of time just because of their um, ethnic difference. Some of you may have faced, and I don't want to just speak from myself because um, I haven't had a huge amount of oppression in my life, but some of you may have. Some of you may have. Some of you may have faced racial injustice or some other form of injustice that has affected you. And actually, the idea of God as judge is a hopeful one, is good news. You see, Judah, for Judah, this would be a message, although on the face of it, it didn't, doesn't read like it, this would be good news for Judah because Nineveh was going to be judged. During the civil rights movement, I've been, um, I've been listening to quite a lot of Martin Luther King recently because, um, because I would recommend it to anyone. He was a great man and... and a, um, he did a couple of amazing talks and the famous one is obviously I Have a Dream and he quotes Amos in there where he says we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. During that time all of the ethnic minorities in the US were looking to the justice of God. And actually Martin Luther King's ministry was founded on, on two huge truths that are founded in the Bible. The fact that All men are created in the image of God and that justice will be done. He also said in another speech that he did called Our God is Marching On and you may have heard it where he says, How long? How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. What a joy to know that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, that all will be held accountable, that all wrongs will be made right. It is an encouragement if you are oppressed. And actually, as Christians, it says that we will be oppressed, just to say, not if, we will be. It is an encouragement to know that our God is a righteous judge that vengeance is his and that all will be held into account. Judgment is good news for the oppressed. Point number two, judgment is bad news for the oppressor. Judgment is bad news for the oppressor. Nahum 1, 1 to 3. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. I think it's fair to say that that has never been put on a calendar. (laughs) (laughs) It seems logical in the light of um, 
the Holocaust and in the light of the genocides that I've talked about, that, that this starts to make sense for us from that perspective. But why is it that we get angry at an angry God? Why is it that we have such a reaction when we read that in the Bible? Why is it that that kind of makes us feel uncomfortable, especially if you know uh, a loving father in God? Why is that those verses trouble us? You see, judgment is welcome when it's directed at Nazis and Pol Pot and racists and but it is completely unwelcome when we are asked to stand on the scales. The idea of God as a judge is unwelcome when we are asked to stand on the scales. You see, the only sin in our culture is calling out sin. It's the only sin in our culture. You know, judgment is unwelcome. But actually, over the weekend away, when we looked at the um, timelines of our lives and we looked at the times where it was below the line and we, it wasn't good and the time it was above the line, I looked at my life and I saw that I was not only oppressed at times, kind of, but I was the oppressor. I was not only the victim, but I was the perpetrator. In this story, I was Nineveh. You know, church, we need to be reminded of the weight of sin. Um, while I was in Austin, um, I was in a hotel room by myself. And I turned on the TV and it was late and it had a menu and it said, Disney, movies adult and I had a moment I had a moment where I'm like this I'm sitting there on this bed miles from home miles from any accountability miles from my wife and this was this, was this week by the way and I sat there and I paused and I turned it off and I thought God, may I never wait that long again. Sin is so destructive. It comes like something that is joyous and pleasurable. And I was about to unravel a work of God in my life that he has worked on for years in a moment I was going to sin against God, against myself, against Sarah. So easy. It came so easily and it could have happened. Thank God for his strength. But church, we cannot belittle sin. You see, if I spoke to any of my friends outside of church about that moment they just would have been like what I don't understand, I don't understand. Like, it's, it's so minor it doesn't even affect anyone it doesn't come on guys lighten up lighten up it's just it's a bit of sin 
It's not, it's not, come on, you're not Nazis. You haven't had an affair with Sarah. The barber said to me, I'm so glad that God just chilled out in the New Testament. (laughs) I'm so glad he chilled out in the New Testament because he was pretty angry before. And if he hadn't have had a razor to my head, I said he's still angry now. (laughs) He's still angry. God is slow to anger, but he is still angry. He is angry at sin. You know, he doesn't lighten up in the New Testament. What does Jesus say about sin? If something causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. Don't mess around with it. Cut it off. The destructive power of sin remains and God's anger towards sin remains. You know, we outrage at a judgmental God because we see ourselves as innocent. The true outrage is that a holy God would sustain us though we were evil. There is nothing right now sustaining us other than the pleasure of God. Humanity is sustained by God. The true outrage is that God holy God could love us despite our evil at a different point in Nineveh's history one that you're probably more familiar with than the story of Nahum when the people of Nineveh heard the rebuke of God they turned and repented and Jonah felt the outrage you know the story Jonah, we focus more on the big fish, but Jonah goes to Nineveh, he tells a city, this huge city, has probably the most impressive crusade of all time, where he converts a whole city, they cover themselves in ash, and they turn from their ways, and God lets them off, and Jonah is indignant to the mercy of God. He appeals to God, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Point three. Mercy is hope for the oppressor. You see, when me and my brother stood towards my father, Stephen was appealing to dad as judge. (laughs) He was appealing to the fairness of our father. I was appealing to his grace and mercy. (laughs) Here's a challenge for us. Be careful about appealing to the fairness of God. God is just, but be careful about your own life appealing to the fairness of God. God, that's not fair. Do you really want what's fair? Do you want God to be fair with us? 
No. No. We want God to be merciful. You see, Nineveh knew that justice there would mean their destruction, so they called upon his mercy. You see, we've got this trouble then, okay? On the one hand, God is just, and we deserve a just response for our punishment. On the other hand, God is loving. He has an affection for us, and that we know that in Ezekiel he says, that I wish that none would perish, but that all would turn from their ways. And so whichever side of the fence we sit on, we can get angry with God. If we are Nineveh, we can get angry that God is judgmental. Ah, oh, why is he ruining our fun? Why is God, how, how dare he judge us? You notice how it used to be only God can judge me and then it's become no one can judge me? We don't like the idea of anyone judging us, anyone holding us to account for anything. So if we sit on that side, we can get angry at a judgmental God. If we sit on Jonah's side, we can get angry at a merciful God. We are looking to appeal to the justice of God. We're looking to appeal. We don't want to see uh, you know, the oppressor let off. We, as Christians, must do neither. We mustn't get angry at a merciful God. And we mustn't get angry at a judgmental God. But we must turn our eyes to the point where those two things met. You see, no one has been let off the consequence of sin and evil. The weight of sin has never in the history of humanity been diminished or lightened by God. As I said, he is still angry towards sin. But when we look at the cross of Jesus... Both God as judge and God as merciful, loving Father comes together. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, the Son of Man and Son of God. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The weight of sin has never been lightened, but it has been borne. On the cross, Jesus took all of that sin and it was a heavy load the sin of the world the sin of the oppressor and it was a heavy load but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And they're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just and the justifier. Whichever perspective you are sitting on, God is a righteous judge. He is a merciful father. And at the cross, he enabled us to be righteous because he was both just and the justifier. You see, justice is good news for the oppressed. It was the hope for humanity and it will continue to be because the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Judgment is still extremely bad news for the oppressor, for the sinful. But there is hope in God's mercy and grace. A couple of questions. Are you feeling like Judah right now? If you're feeling like Judah, you're feeling oppressed. I I, I admit, I I often feel like I can't associate with this concept very much, but I don't want to assume that you don't associate with the feeling of feeling oppressed, feeling victimised. You know, God is a righteous judge, and vengeance is his. All will be held accountable for what they have done. Or are you feeling more like Nineveh? Where I sit. And if you are feeling like Nineveh, are you going to respond in the day of Nahum or in the day of Jonah? In the day of Nahum, they didn't turn from their ways, they continued in their evil, and then years later they were destroyed under God's sovereign hand. In the days of Jonah, they turned from their ways and found mercy in God. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to take communion together. I share the story about the hotel room to remind you that no one standing here stands in anything other than the grace of God. It's not me standing and talking over you as if I've figured it out and I've done the right thing my whole life and I've achieved righteousness in myself. No, I come to that table as you do. And I fall on the mercy and the grace of a good, good father who sent his son to bear the heavy, heavy weight of my sin and the sins of the world. And so we're going to sing together. And I kind of want you to think about those things. I want to think about those things in your own life. And I want you to just spend that time with God. Reminding yourself of his amazing character that is never diminished throughout time, never changes between testaments. It continues to be good and righteous at the same time. And I'm going to pray. If you stand with me.
God, it was such a, a pleasure to um, study your word and to see um, such joy and hope in what originally feels like quite a, a heavy book. And Father, I thank you that for those of us that um, associate with Judah at this time, we can know that there is hope, there is good news for the oppressed. Thank you. And Father, for those of us that are associating more with Nineveh right now, I thank you that there is good news because of your mercy and your grace to us. And Father, if there is anyone here that needs to repent right now, that they would do so, that they would turn from their ways as Nineveh did in the time of Jonah and that they would come back to a loving God. Thank you. If there's anyone here that has diminished the idea of sin in their lives, that they've kind of um, allowed it or given license to it, I pray, Father, that you would illuminate in their minds the weight of their sin the danger, the cancer that it is, whatever stage it's at, that it should be removed. Father, as we remember Jesus on the cross, we remember that you gave it all for us. Thank you. That you could be both just and the justifier. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.